Hello, and welcome to another podcast of U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Gene. This is Jimmy LaSalle. Today's podcast is a U.S. History Repeated first in that we are dedicating a podcast to a first lady. As FDR has been covered quite extensively in the past few podcasts and was the longest sitting president in U.S. history, so too was Eleanor the longest sitting first lady, and she made quite an impact in several respects. As this is a short podcast, I am not going to steal Jean Ann's thunder. But before I do turn it over, I will say that we have had several requests in the past for some outtakes or some funny stuff that doesn't necessarily make the final edit. We have one at the end of this one, and we thought it would be cute to include. Okay, so today we're going to do a U.S. history repeated first. We're going to be doing a podcast on a first lady, but this first lady was very much her own person. She had a life before FDR and she had a life after his death. So today we're going to be talking about Eleanor Roosevelt. Her advocacy for both human rights and civil rights for not just people in the United States, but for people around the world, it set her apart from the first ladies who came before her and from most women of her generation. And it's important to note that she was a Roosevelt before she married FDR. Her real first name was Anna, but she always went by her middle name, Eleanor. Anna Eleanor Roosevelt was born on October 11th, 1884 in New York City. She was never called Anna, always Eleanor. The Roosevelts were a wealthy family, Both of her parents were from very prominent New York families, and while she certainly grew up more privileged than most, her childhood was really anything but idyllic. Her mother, Anna, who, you know, during her day, in her younger years, she was a leading debutante, and she nicknamed her daughter Granny because she felt as though she was very plain looking. Her mother, Anna, died at the age of 29 from diphtheria. Eleanor was eight years old. Her father, Elliot Roosevelt, was the younger brother of President Teddy Roosevelt. He was an alcoholic. He traveled to a number of different places, many in Europe, actually, in search of treatment. And despite their distance, the two were close. They you know, would frequently exchange letters. But her father died at the age of 34. He tried to kill himself by jumping out of a window, and he survived the fall but died of a seizure the next day. Both of her parents and one of her brothers died by the time she was 10. So this was a very difficult childhood. After the death of her mother, Eleanor Roosevelt was raised by her maternal grandmother, a woman by the name of Mary Livingston Ludlow Hall. And if that doesn't scream old money, I don't know what would. She was not equipped for this task of taking on two additional children. Her late husband was extremely religious and extremely controlling. She wasn't allowed to make any decisions, even about the clothes she would wear. After her husband's death, she had no idea how to run a household, and she relied on her daughter, Anna. And when Anna died, she had her own younger children to raise, now along with Eleanor and Eleanor's younger brother. Eleanor would write of her grandmother, and this is a direct quote, my grandmother's life had a considerable effect on me. For even when I was young, I determined that I would never be dependent upon my children by allowing all my interests to center in on them, 
end quote. She was going to have her own life apart from being someone's wife, apart from being someone's mother. And this was very forward thinking for the time. For the majority of her younger years, Eleanor was privately tutored at home. At the age of 15, she was sent to an elite finishing school, a place called Allenswood Academy, and it was in England. It was there where Eleanor's passion and commitment to helping those in need was formed. She began her social work and life of public service that she would continue on with until her death. She returned to New York in order to make her debut as a socialite. And of course, this was to her grandmother's insistence. In 1902, she reconnected with her distant cousin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and the two began writing letters to each other. They were married in New York City in March of 1905, and her uncle, Theodore Roosevelt, walked her down the aisle. They lived in a home connected to FDR's mother's house, and FDR's mother was incredibly controlling, controlling over her son, and even over her grandchildren. Theirs was not a happy marriage. FDR had an affair with Eleanor's secretary, an affair he would rekindle without Eleanor's knowledge and would continue on until his death. When Eleanor found out about the affair, the two remained married, but really in name only. They lived separate lives in a sense, but Eleanor was a great support to FDR. The two had six children. Neither of them was really a doting parent. FDR was busy paving the way for his political ambitions and career. And for Eleanor, she was quoted as saying that motherhood just didn't come naturally to her. She also had to contend with her mother-in-law, who went as far as telling the children that she was their real mother, that Eleanor had only given birth to them. So you can imagine that that was not an easy relationship. In the summer of 1921, FDR contracted polio after visiting a Boy Scout camp near Bear Mountain, New York. As FDR worked to regain his strength, Eleanor became his legs. Her interest in politics grew during this time. She got involved with the Women's Trade Union League, and while working with the WTUL, she advocated for better working conditions and pay for women and became active in New York State's Democratic Party. As first lady, after her husband was elected president, she toured the United States during the Great Depression. She met with men, women, and children across the country. She visited factories and tenements. She pushed for women to have access to opportunities opened by New Deal legislation. She held regular press conferences as first lady in the White House and only allowed female reporters as they were barred from the president's press conferences. Those were men only. She held them weekly, and they focused on matters that were of interest to women. In total, there were 348 press conferences. These conferences not only educated the public, but they ensured that many female reporters kept their jobs. Roosevelt also began a syndicated newspaper column, and this was called My Day. It ran six days a week, starting in 1935. By the 1950s, readership grew to 4 million readers in 90 publications. That's tremendous. She continued this column until 1962. Some of the issues she addressed in her column were things like prohibition, the attack on Pearl Harbor, 
women's issues, and even race relations. From 1936 until 1945, she wrote more than 2,500 columns, 200 articles, published six books, and delivered at least 70 speeches a year. She was a fierce supporter of women, and she encouraged her husband to appoint women to important leadership roles. And he was the first president to appoint a woman to a cabinet-level position, a woman by the name of Frances Perkins. And she was appointed to head the Department of Labor in 1933. She was a supporter of civil rights. In 1943, she joined the NAACP, and she worked to gain support for an anti-lynching bill. As early as 1901, there were calls for the legislative branch to pass an anti-lynching bill to make it a crime to hang people. Imagine that being hard to do, but it was. Thousands of people were lynched in the United States. The majority of them were black. In fact, an anti-lynching bill would not get passed by both houses of the legislative branch until 2018. She worked to support or to gain support of this bill. She pushed it even to her husband, the president of the United States, but he was unwilling to support it himself because he didn't want to alienate the Southern Democratic supporters. And so this is why term limits are important. She worked so well with the NAACP that rumors started to swirl that she was mixed race. And the KKK at one point had a $25,000 bounty on her head. She resigned from the Daughters of the American Revolution when they refused to allow singer Marian Anderson to sing at their hall in 1939. So we know some Daughters of the American Revolution now, right? From uh... We do. We do. They mm -hmm. listen to the podcast. They might mm -hmm. not like this little tidbit of their history, but it's the truth. I'll throw a little shout out to Nancy Caleri. Yeah. Daughter of the American Revolution. So they had this event planned they would not allow Marian Anderson to sing at the hall. And so Eleanor Roosevelt wrote about why she resigned from the Daughters of the American Revolution, and that didn't change their mind. So instead, Eleanor Roosevelt invited Marian Anderson to sing at the White House for King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, and also helped to have her sing in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., in front of 75,000 people. Eleanor Roosevelt visited the troops overseas during World War II, and she would wear her Red Cross uniform. Less than a year after the United States entered World War II, Queen Elizabeth, the wife of King George VI, invited the First Lady to visit the British home front. The British home front was very different from the U.S. home front, Aside from Pearl Harbor, our cities were not being bombed. The country had been at war for years and supplies were limited, but their resolve to continue to fight and to do without stayed with Eleanor Roosevelt. She also spent time shedding light on how women were helping the war effort. She toured bombed out neighborhoods and bomb shelters, military hospitals, and of course visited American GIs stationed in Great Britain. She personally wrote to General Eisenhower after hearing how the men were developing blisters from their cotton socks, and she advocated that they be given wool socks instead. In August of 1943, she traveled to the Pacific Theater of World War II. From San Francisco, she traveled to Hawaii, to New Zealand, Australia, even the South Pacific, and most impressively, the island of Guadalcanal. 
Throughout her five-week trip, she inspected the conditions of the military outposts. She spoke to servicemen and women and comforted the wounded who were recovering in hospitals. And she chronicled her trip in her news column, My Day. Traveling across the country, let alone traveling across the world, was not something first ladies before her had done. And she's traveling to these places that are essentially in a war zone. After Pearl Harbor and the passage of Executive Order 9066, she was really shocked by FDR's support of this. She spoke out against Japanese incarceration camps to her husband and felt as though the government didn't have the right to imprison U.S. citizens without due process of law. She went as far as visiting some of the camps and pushed for better conditions and better working opportunities outside of the camps. When her husband died, she helped to plan his funeral, despite the terrible betrayal of finding out her husband had continued on with an affair he agreed to end and that he was with his mistress when he died. She was also the one to tell Vice President Harry Truman of her husband's death. The two maintained contact until the end of the war, and the two cemented a very close bond. They continued their correspondence until 1960. After the death of her husband, this time period is often referred to as Eleanor Roosevelt's second act. In 1945, Eleanor Roosevelt was appointed by President Harry S. Truman to the first United Nations delegation. She was the only woman among the delegates. Mrs. Roosevelt didn't feel equal to the task, and she questioned President Truman saying, how could I be a delegate to help organize the United Nations when I have absolutely no background, no experience in international meetings? But he was able to persuade her to take the job, and as it turned out, she was more than equal to the task. At the first meeting of the General Assembly, she was asked to take part in the Human Rights Commission. She was then elected by her peers to chair this committee. She famously helped to create the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It was formally adopted by the United Nations in 1948. And this document serves as a guideline to this day for an individual's basic rights and an individual's freedoms that should be guaranteed from birth. And it has inspired international human rights laws. It has inspired international treaties and constitutions of countries. The adoption of this document is celebrated every December 10th as World Human Rights Day. And she served as a delegate to the United Nations until 1953. During the age of McCarthyism, the 1950s, she disagreed with Senator Joseph McCarthy, and this was a very dangerous thing to do. Her outspoken nature on a number of hot-button issues landed the former First Lady in the crosshairs of the FBI. There was a 3,000-page file on Eleanor Roosevelt, and it was one of J. Edgar Hoover's largest files. The FBI file on her began in 1924, and it continued until her death. Much of the file remains redacted today. Still, by the 1960s, her reputation precedes her, and her support was needed for JFK to win the black vote. 
But she didn't agree to campaign for him right away. She actually waits until the very end of the election. After Kennedy is elected president, he asks her to chair a commission on the status of women. And the report documented the inequities that women faced. The report was ahead of its time, and it called for an end to discrimination and recommended things like maternity leave and affordable child care. Things that most American women still don't have access to, and it is the biggest hurdle for women to rejoin the workforce after having children, maternity leave and affordable child care. Her health began to decline in 1960 after she was hit by a car. Tuberculosis that had been dormant in her bone marrow once again became active, and she died on November 7, 1962. She had hoped her funeral to be a private affair, and she didn't even want her death announced until after the funeral. President Kennedy ordered all flags to be flown at half-mast. Her funeral was attended by both President Kennedy and Mrs. Kennedy and Vice President Johnson, as well as former Presidents Truman and Eisenhower. A number of United Nations delegates, as well as governors and mayors. She is buried alongside her husband in the Rose Garden at Hyde Park. Generations of people around the world continue to owe a debt of gratitude to Eleanor Roosevelt. I'd like to end this episode with words of Eleanor Roosevelt's. These are two of my favorite quotes of hers, and I hope that they will resonate with you as much as they do with me. Never allow a person to tell you no who doesn't have the power to say yes. And lastly, do not stop thinking of life as an adventure. You have no security unless you can live bravely, excitingly, imaginatively, unless you can choose a challenge instead of competence. Okay, thank you, Gene. And as promised, here is a quick outtake from this podcast. Now, just so you know, Gene and I are brother and sister, so we usually do have some funny little banter back and forth during the course of these. You know, whether it's it's usually me saying, "Hey, repeat this. It didn't sound too clear," or you know, I jump in and I ask a question. But there is some of this stuff too, so I'll try to include this going forward. And I hope you get a quick laugh. Her health began to decline in 1960 after she was hit by a car tuberculosis that had been dormant. Wait, wait. What do you mean she was hit by a car? She was hit by a car. She's crossing the street. She was hit by a car. All right. What do you mean she was hit by a car? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, you know, I thought there was going to be more to that. Nope. She was hit by a car. Because anybody's health would decline after they were hit by a car. I'm just saying. I just, I just, it's just a funny sentence. Her health began to decline after she was hit by a car. What? Thank you for listening to U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Gene. Tell your friends about our podcast and where you learn all this great stuff about U.S. history. Follow us on social media and get onto our email list to learn about special events. They're coming up again. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.